Hey, everybody. Ah, thanks, Elizabeth and team, for great worship. Mm, my. Um, so, anybody know what I got here? Yeah, but it's not just any feather. It's a buzzard feather. <laughs> and there's a purpose to this. Um, <clears throat> my dad really liked buzzards because he was a flyer. And it, it, you know that the buzzards, they, they get up on the, the currents and they'll just soar around for a long time without hardly ever flapping. And, and dad would watch him. And uh, he had an airplane for a while. I, I kind of think he wished that he was a buzzard himself at times. But, um, and he'd, you know what they, what they are able to soar on is these thermals, the, the hot air currents that are rising off of the earth. And the, the buzzards catch those and they, they fly around. Now I realize that buzzards are kind of... Uh, ungainly, stinky, uh, ugly critters, but boy, when they're in the air, aren't they? Uh, they're really magnificent, and uh, they know how to do it. Um, but Dad would wonder, can those buzzards actually see that thermal? How do they know where the thermals are? I mean, to us, they're invisible. We can't see them. Um, so, I'm wondering... You know, it's possible that they could. And so that is kind of a recurring theme that I want to bring out today is the invisible, uh, the unseen, the spiritual part of our life that, that we, we just can't see. Now, we've been talking about parables. And, um, and as Doug mentioned, we're going to um, go into the parable of the leaven this morning. But before I do, I want to go over a little bit about parables in general. Jesus was a storyteller, obviously. Man, because I think it says that he, he didn't teach anything without a parable and a story. So what is a parable? It's just a story with a specific message or a moral or a point and kind of piques our uh, enthusiasm and so we kind of, it keeps our attention. That's it. Stories are good that way. They were down to earth. Um, a lot of agricultural stories. Uh, he told a fishing story, businessman. Um, and, and some of them were explained before or after. Others were not. You just kind of, you know, you're on your own. Figure it out. Um, now... So in the Gospels are recorded that Jesus told more than 30 of these parables. He was always teaching through parables. Um, and only three of them are repeated in all three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels. Two more are repeated in two of the Gospels. So there's, there's a wide disparity there. Mark only had a few parables. And John, interestingly enough, has no parables that are identified as parables. Then, if you look at them, there's great variety in the parables of Jesus. Some are long, involved stories with a lot of characters, take up, you know, half a page in your Bible. Um, and then others 
are really short. Just, and you, oh, okay. It's, uh, there it is. Um, and then a couple of the parables were directed specifically toward the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they didn't go over so good with uh, those that they were directed to, but um, that's the way it was. Some of the parables are called parables by the gospel writer. Say, Jesus told a parable, and then they'll, they'll say it. But one or two, they, they call them a parable, but then they just seem like teaching. Um, Jesus' teaching. So, you know, it, <laughs> it's different. Some are not identified as parables, and yet when I read them, they seem like a parable to me. Like uh, in John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born in the Spirit. Sounds like a parable to me, but it's not described so. And then in, um, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is just finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. And he's got the, the story about the two builders that built their house on, on the rocks and on the sand. And therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down. We all know that. The rains came down. The floods came up. The winds blew and beat against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then the foolish man, of course, uh, house on the sand went... Um, so, um, that's a little kind of overview. I was just reading through all the parables, trying to uh, get a little better handle on uh, what Jesus was talking about. Um, and now we'll, we'll move into the, the parable of the leaven itself. This is found in, um, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, and also in Luke chapter 13, 20 and 21. So I'm going to read the whole thing for you. So hold on. All one verse of it. <laughs> out of the, uh, out of the uh, New King James. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Or in the NIV, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. So Jesus is comparing the kingdom to the permeating quality of yeast. How when it's put in bread, it just works its way all the way through. And so the kingdom has that power as well to permeate through society, through culture, through all of our uh, people that we hopefully rub our shoulders with, our circle of friends. The kingdom has that possibility to do that. So now let's, um, I want to review a little bit about um, bread making and yeast. We probably got some bread makers in here. And when I was growing up, my mom liked to, to bake bread with, with yeast. And so we saw her work on it and then when I was in my late teens, David and I, we 
we got into it. And we thought, hey, this is good. Let's make some bread. So we, we started. We kind of learned how to do it. So first, you got to assemble all your ingredients. Get your, your flour and salt if you're going to use any and sugar and uh, some sort of liquid and your yeast. And then you mix all your dry ingredients together. And then you take your liquid, put it in, in there and start to mix it up. And then when you get it to the right consistency, of course, you're following a recipe, uh, get your uh, amounts right, then, then you knead it. And you, you know, fold it in and move it around and get that yeast worked in there. And, then, and you're working on the gluten, too, getting the gluten to where it'll, it'll do its job. And now, um, most of us probably used this right here, the little package of dry yeast. Well, believe it or not, in this little package here is all the little yeast critters. And they're, they're organisms. And in this package, you know, you can see it when you open it and pour it in there. But for the individual yeast cells, 130 billion of them in a package. So this to me reminds me again of the invisible nature. Because when that's in that yeast, you can't see it working. The, you can't see one little yeast, uh, yeast critter, but they're doing their work and they're, uh, they're multiplying and they, uh, they will cause that bread to expand probably twice to what it was. And they do that by that, you know, producing that carbon dioxide and it goes up and puts the little bubbles in the bread and, and the gluten holds it together, etc., etc. Now, you have to have um, sugar in there. Why do you have to have sugar in your bread? That's what they eat. The little yeasties, they eat the sugar of some sort. Now, yeah, you know, it can be any, any different kind of sugar. We used to use, you know, fruit, mix fruit up and put it in there. Now, if you don't want to use the others. And then the CO2 that they produce causes the rising. And then, um, so you get it all mixed together and then you put it in your, in your uh, pan or your uh, uh, bowl and you cover it and you put it in a warm place, right? You got to have it in a warm place to let it rise. And it, it's supposed to be about 80 or 90 degrees and you're going to leave it there for about an hour hour um, and a half, maybe, maybe a little longer until it, you feel like it's, it's risen up there. And then you can uh, do a couple different things. You can pull it out and you can punch it down. My mom used to punch it down and, and then that would do something to the, the gluten. And, and then you can put it back in and let it rise up some more and it'll come back up. And then you pull it out and then you take the, um, take the dough and you separate it into, uh, shape it into whatever the shapes of loaf and sizes that you want. And then you put it in the oven and, um, and you bake it. And who doesn't like the smell of fresh bread? And, and <laughs> it's almost lunchtime. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to <laughs> have some baking out there, but <laughs> didn't, didn't get that done. And so um, then you pull it out and you eat it. Fresh baked bread. Wow. So I got to tell a story on my brother. He's not here, so he can't defend himself. He's up in Sunday school. <laughs> so 
And like I said, we were learning about bread making in our late teens. And, and then David went off to college up to George Fox. And I think he was a little bit lonely the first semester up there. And he, you know, looking for company and things to do. And so he thought, you know, uh, we used to make bread. So I'll try making bread up here. So he got his ingredients together and, and um, he started, you know, making some bread in his dorm room. Probably had a little kitchenette down below where he could cook it. Well, one weekend I was up there visiting with him and walked into his dorm room and he's, he's working on some bread. And he pulls the, the, the container, the bowl out of the, the warm place and, and it's rising up real nice. And it's a, it's a metal bowl, but I, I'm looking at his bowl and it looks a little different. Uh, it's, it's rounded on the bottom and doesn't have a flat spot. And I'm thinking, David? Is that one of the hubcaps off your car? <laughs> and he said, well, I didn't have enough bowls, but I cleaned it out real good. <laughs> and the bread turned out good. It tasted fine. <laughs> boys will be boys. Mm. <clears throat> so what I want to... I want to bring to your attention something that isn't real obvious in the, uh, when you read... The, uh, the parable. Um, it, in, the, uh, in the New King James, it talks about the woman took the yeast and she hid it in three measures of meal. Now, in the uh, New International, it, it, measures of meal is a little bit vague to me. Uh, I mean, a, a measure is kind of generic. It can be a half a cup or a cup or two or four. You know, you don't really, it doesn't tell you what it is. It just says three measures of meal. Um, the New International is a little bit more specific. It says she worked it into a large amount of flour. So I went back and I looked at the Greek word, and the Greek word is sata, and she used tria sata. And a sata was a specific amount. So the Jews of that time, they knew what she was talking about. We have no idea what a sata is unless we find out. And upon a little more research, a sata was a pretty large measure. In fact, the three satas that she used were almost... A, a bushel basket. In fact, they were a little bit more than a bushel basket. This is a bushel basket. Now, can you imagine, you bread bakers, you're going to make a, a, a batch of bread, and you're going to start with, this was the flour that she started with, was this much or a little bit more. So, and then it's going to rise, and how much bread is this lady going to make? She's going to feed the Jewish army, I think, or my. So when I realized that, I said, wow, this is incredible. And that's something that you don't really, you know, when you read it, it's, it's not apparent. <clears throat> then as I was studying this a little bit more, I, a realization came upon me that, um, as you can remember, Yeast in the New Testament is not viewed in a positive fashion. Um, all through the New Testament, in all the instances, uh, Jesus referred to the leaven of who? 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaven of Herod, referring to how their doctrine had corrupted the, the religious system of the time. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, Jesus, was it, was it a good thing to use, the, you know, compare the kingdom to leaven? But then I realized that this parable was not alone because Jesus sometimes, it, it, there's a couple other places where he told parables that contained characters in there which were a little bit sketchy, seemed like. Uh, and specifically, there's the parable in Luke 16 about the dishonest steward. Did anybody scratch their head about this one? Uh, so the man was losing his job as steward, and he says, well, what can I do? Oh, I know, so he called in a creditor. How much do you owe your master? Uh, uh, 100 bushels a week. Well, here, make it 80. And then he called in another one. How much do you owe? Uh, 100 uh, measure of oil. Well, here, make it 50. And so by you know, trickery and what are, he, he made a, a name for himself, and, but Jesus commended the steward not for his dishonesty, but because he acted shrewdly. And so the important thing to remember is what's the overarching, um, the meaning of the parable? Jesus wasn't talking about, he wasn't making a judgment on the steward and his honesty or dishonesty. He was talking about that he acted shrewdly and he applied that to how and the Christian should also act shrewdly and use the world's goods in a way that would um, benefit them in the, in the kingdom. And then there's the story in, in Luke chapter 18 about the unjust judge. How about that one? Um, the, the woman has a, a, a person that is giving her trouble uh, for some reason. And she goes to the judge and says, give me relief from my adversary. And, but the judge says, oh, go away, I'm busy, I'm having my supper, come back in three weeks or something. Um, and, but she comes back the next day, I mean, I'm just making this up, but um, she comes back and she bugs him some more, give me relief for my adversary. And finally, after she's been back five or six or however many times, he says, well, I don't care about God and I don't care about man, but this woman is bugging me. And she's going to wear me out. All right, I'll get you relief from your adversaries. So he does it. And so, again, Jesus isn't drawing a judgment on the, the judge and his corrupt practices. He's talking about the persistence of the woman to keep coming to God. And he says, won't God speedily answer the person? So, and, and thinking about the leaven... I, I realize that it's, you, you got to look at what the parable's really talking about. And the, the parable of the leaven, he's not saying that the kingdom is leaven, which was looked at in a negative way. He's saying it's like leaven. The activity of the leaven that works its way perverse, per, pervasively through all the dough and, uh, and the kingdom wants to work through our lives and, and churches um, into our cultures. <clears throat> I've got a couple of examples of um, how this can work. When I was um, a, a fairly new Christian, I was going to a church, and there was a, a lady there 
who, she was a, a PE teacher out at Lincoln Savage, and she was very on fire for the Lord. Her name was Sue. She, um, she wanted everybody to come know the Lord, vivacious, a neat personality. People were drawn to her. She started up a Bible study for the teachers out at Lincoln Savage, and they started coming. And lo and behold, they started being saved and started coming to the church. Marty Steiner and his wife started coming. Um, uh, the PE, the other lady PE teacher, Shirley Kincaid, some of you might remember that name. She was a hard-bitten lady. She was okay, but no nonsense. She didn't mess with Shirley. Well, she watched Sue, you know, work with her, and after a little bit, she started coming to the Bible study. She accepted the Lord, and she was part of the church there for quite a while. Um, Tom Fields and his wife, were, they fell to the Holy Spirit there, and they were coming to the church. And then there were some students, a lot of students, that looked at Sue and said, you know, this, here's a person that I want to follow. Holy Spirit was working on. The leaven was working. It, um, and that was, that was pretty cool. Then I, as I was thinking about it, I <clears throat> thought about um, Clyde and Kelsey, who are, they're down at Reading right now, but they were down in, in the Amazon for many years, and I know they would go into tribes and, and um, villages, and they'd minister, and oftentimes the gospel would, would be like leaven in there, and people start changing. And so I, I talked to Clyde, and he says, can you, can you tell me uh, and how that was? And he said, oh, and many times, he said, I got a, got a lot of stories about how, uh, how the gospel worked and changed whole, whole tribes and things. So um, <clears throat> I wanted to have him share the story, but yeah, they're down there. So he wrote something out for me, and so I want to read it. And I've kind of edited it for time. But, um, so this is about a tribal chief named Coyote, or, or Coyote. Uh, um, it, and the story begins sometime before Clyde and Kelsey went to Brazil. And you remember Marcos that was here for many years, and his uncle, Clenildu, was a missionary down there. And before Clyde and Kelsey got there, Clenildu and a, a missionary team went up the Shingu River, and they were evangelizing along the way. They stopped at Quixote's village and preached the gospel, Quixote accepted. He, he was the tribal chief. And his cousin also received the Lord, their wives, and a son-in-law. Well, they started a new village shortly thereafter with three different tribes representing. Um, not just that one, but there was three of them. And, and they built a small church. Clyde and Kelsey had arrived by that time. And at one point, they were ready to dedicate this church, and it was a vineyard church. And so Clyde and Kelsey went and their kids, and they spent a glorious evening there with Coyote, worshiping, feasting, and dancing as they dedicated their new vineyard church. And even though Clyde and Coyote haven't seen each other in eight or ten years um, because they came back to the United States, Coyote calls Clyde frequently. And he considers him one of his fathers in the faith. Their church has grown a lot, and the church is packed. The village has grown a lot. Um, so the yeast continues to work, decades later even. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's just one of Clyde's stories, I know that. So 
Now let's look at some application uh, for this parable. How can we apply it to us? And I want to go back to this bushel basket. That woman dreamed big. She didn't get out her little bowl. She got out this. She was planning ahead for some big thing. So we can take that to heart too. Plan big. Dream big. God is not a small God. He wants to take our plans. And we can't do it in our own strength, but through Him we can. Um, she made big preparations. And that reminds me of a story in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 3, starts there, about Elisha and the woman and her jars of oil. And she had run into financial trouble. She was a, a widow, and a, a creditor was trying to take her boys away from her. And so she came to Elijah the prophet and says, help me, what can I do? Elisha uh, says, well, what have you got? And she said, I haven't got anything except this little jar with some oil in it. So you remember what he told her. He said, okay. He's probably thinking, we'll just use what we got. Uh, go around to all your neighbors and collect jars. Bring containers and vessels back. And don't bring a few. Bring a lot. So they did that. They went. And as you know, they began to pour the oil from however much was in that little bit of oil. They started pouring. And they filled up the whole jar. And they set it aside. Got another one. Filled it up. Set it aside. Filled another one. Another one. They're going each by each until they fill them all up. And she's, okay, where's another jar? We're all done. And then the oil stopped. So... Dream big. What if she'd gotten two times the jars or three or four? They would have all been filled, wouldn't they? God would have done it. So don't, don't dream small. Big plans. If you want to have a big harvest, you don't just scatter a few seeds, do you? You make sure you got plenty of seeds out there. Then let's think about the ingredients that um, go into into bread making. You've, you've got to have that sugar. You, without sugar, your bread won't rise. So think about our lives as we go out and we rub shoulders with people in the marketplace, wherever, our families, our friends. If we're an old sourpuss and, you know, weaned on a dill pickle like somebody said one time before, um, and we're complaining and bitter, how much you think is going to happen? We need some sweetness about us, don't we? Like my friend Sue Howell, she was, um, she was a, a really great person, and people were drawn to her. Remember the old expression, you catch more flies with honey than vinegar? Yeah. That applies here. So you've got to have the right ingredients. You have to have that sugar in there. Then you have to have right conditions um, when you're baking your bread. You can't just put it all together, your ingredients, and um, then stick it um, in the, maybe stick it in the oven for five minutes. What's going to happen? Isn't that, nothing's going to happen. You, uh, and, well, if it's, yeah, yeah, if it's too hot, you're going to be killed. Um, 
But you've got to give it time. You've got to give it time to work. Um, and the right... And the, the heart condition has to be right of the people that you're ministering to. If the heart condition is not receptive, the, the yeast is not going to work. And, and like in the parable of the soils too, that seed, some fell on packed ground where it, nothing happened, the birds ate it. Some fell and where it was stony, thin soil. It sprouted, but no crop. And then the others, the weeds grew up and no crop again. So we've got to have the right conditions in our society for the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit to work and cause this yeast to work and cause the kingdom to grow. Now, part of that can be influenced by us. We can, a lot of that is the condition of the person, their heart, but we have the opportunity to pray and the responsibility, and we can change people's hearts through prayer. So that's what we need to do also. And I want to remember this thing that we were talking about, the invisibleness, the, uh, the buzzards floating on the thermals that we can't see. Well, here's, here's this yeast, 130 billion of them just working away inside this dough. We can't see it, but if the conditions are right, it's doing, they're doing their job, and it's going to have a good outcome. In school, and I had a teacher, I can't even remember which one it was, but they wanted us to listen to the, the lesson of the day, the, the lecture or whatever, and come up with the main idea and boil it down to just so you don't have a lot of extra. And he called it a kernel sentence. And the, what was the lesson of the day in a little tiny kernel? So here's my kernel of the, the, uh, the parable of the leaven. The gospel of the kingdom has the ability and the tendency to spread through entire populations or cultures given the right conditions. Now, it's just about as long as the parable was itself, but, but it's in my words. Uh, that, that's what it meant to me. Um, <clears throat> so that is, um, that's what the parable of the leaven, that's what I thought about, what God showed me. And all these parables that we're talking about, Matthew 13, what is the kingdom of heaven like? So Jesus is trying to um, tell his, his audience, the people, what does it mean to walk in the kingdom? And some were headed that way, others just going over their head, had no idea. Um, he explained it to some, explained it to the, even the apostles didn't understand it all, but Jesus knew their hearts. He'd picked them. He knew that their hearts were for him. So that's why I think they got the opportunity to have it explained to him. Others, see there, Jesus is, he's healing, he's casting out demons, and huge crowds are gathering, but a lot of them were probably just curious. They, oh, what's going on here? Uh, they're wondering, is this real? They, they weren't in their hearts ready for it. Um, so they didn't understand it. So that's why they got it in parables. But those whose hearts were ready, they could receive. Um, but today, not all of us understand about walking in the kingdom. 
What does it mean to live in the kingdom, walk in the kingdom? So, and I know for me, it took a while. It took a while to understand, to learn about different aspects of it. So I've written down some, some basic aspects of walking in the kingdom. And the first one that I wrote down has to do with that invisible nature again, the supernatural. We live in a physical um, body and in a physical world, and we tend to focus on the physical, almost to an exclusion. But God wants us to move over to realize that the supernatural is every bit as important, the invisible, what we can't see, every bit as important or more than the physical that we can touch. Um, our eyes, our physical eyes are often veiled, and we can't, we just can't see it. Um, and reminds me of the story in 2 Kings chapter 6, um, where um, Elisha, again, he's, he's been mixing it up with the king of Aram, because um, he, he's getting words from the Lord about the king of Aram's activities, because he's trying to attack the king of Israel. So, he gets a word from the Lord and he tells the, uh, the king of Israel, don't go here because he's going to be here. And it happens that way. Finally, uh, the king of Aram gets so upset that he says, I go get that guy, bring him here. Uh, so the, he sends his soldiers and they surround the town of Dothan where Elijah is. And the, in, in the morning, they, they get up and his servant looks out, he's drinking his coffee here's all these the chariots and the, and the army of Aram is surrounding them he says what do we do what are we going to do and Elijah prays Lord open his eyes and the Lord opens the servant's eyes so he can see yes they're surrounded by, by an army but behind the army the army is surrounded by the chariots and the horses of fire of God so it was not a problem and when the army came down here, Elijah says, strike him with blindness, Lord. And he did. And then he leads him right into the capital city of Samaria. And then he says, okay, open their eyes. And so they do. And now they're the ones that's looking. Ah. But they don't kill them. He, send, he feeds them dinner and sends them home. And it says that after that, the king of Aram did not go and attack the, the king of Israel for a while. So um, we want to get past the physical into the spiritual. Jesus bent the laws of nature. He walked on the water. He raised the dead, calmed the storm. The apostles did too. Um, and we can do that. God has given us that ability, that power to do that. Another uh, facet of this walking in the kingdom I want to mention is identity. Who are you? Um, and where are you going to take your, um, your cues from? Are you going to take it from, from the world that tells you um, you're, you're no good, your father was an alcoholic, you, you're going to be just like him, or are you going to take your cues from the Word of God? Satan likes to whisper in our ear, doesn't he? He says in John 10.10, 10, it says, the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. So that's what we want to listen to. Who are we listening to? Uh, in uh, 1 John 1, 9, 
We, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, yes, we might have a past. Yes, we have sin in our past. But for those that have accepted Jesus, that's gone. We are, we're not enslaved to that. Guilt, condemnation, be gone in the name of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, here's a great one. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is who we are. We are royalty because God made us that way. Now, are we going to listen to the enemy and says, no, who are you? Who are you going to do this? Jesus says, you are. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Think about Esther. Esther was... The Lord touched her and brought her up to be the queen of the land. Why? Because he had a purpose for her. And she stood up. She swallowed hard and, and she knew that she could die. But she said, I'm going to do it. If I die, I die. And she went before the king. And the king listened to her, granted her petition. And the Jews were saved through the um, amazing um, bravery of Queen Esther. Um, and then Gideon, he was, he's called, the angel called him a mighty man of valor. And he, he was called to rescue his people from the bondage in that, uh, whichever one that they were under at that time, uh, Arameans or somebody. And he went and led his people to victory. Even though he had no idea uh, he didn't realize that that power was within him. But he stepped forward to, to take a chance. And then we need to realize that we are spiritual warriors. God has called us in the kingdom to take up our swords and fight against evil. To stand. Take a stand. And in this day and age, we are being called for that. Um, Luke chapter 10 verse 19 Jesus says, I've given you authority to trample on scorpions and snakes and over all the power of the enemy. And in 2 Corinthians, one of my favorites, chapter 10, verse 3 to 5, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. That's a strong word, demolish we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's not a namby-pamby person that's just passive and sitting back. No, we are going forward. We are, we are taking what we have been given, the power and authority that, that Jesus has put in our lives to take captive thoughts and demolish arguments. There's evil in the world, but we are called to come against it. And he's not sent us out uh, unarmed. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us about all the armor that he's given to us. He's given us a helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, his righteousness, the shoes of preparation for the gospel, and then our sword and our shield of faith, sword of the spirit. So we are well equipped to do the job that he calls us to do. We are spiritual warriors.
Um, and we, we are healers and miracle workers. God has designed us to be that way. Some say that that quit, you know, a long time ago. No, it, uh, it did not quit. In, um, in Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said to the apostles, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. And I didn't ever read where he took that back. I don't think so. And then uh, in John 14, verse 12, Jesus, he ups the ante. He'd been around doing all these things, amazing miracles and signs and wonders. And Jesus says, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. In fact, he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So there it is. God has given us the power and authority to do what Jesus did and more. So don't put limits on uh, what, uh, what he wants, what he wants to, to work through us. And, and that brings us to the next point is that it's not in our own strength. We're not going out doing these because we think we're a great person and, and we can do it and we've psyched ourselves up. No. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And he gloried in the situations that brought hardship to him. And he went through so many hardships, didn't he? Oh, my. Uh, and in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, again, Paul says, God chose the weak things of the world to confound the wise. So we don't have to go to college and have a degree and go to seminary and, and all that. God has put in each one of us what we need for the time, for the moment. Um, and then there's the story in, in Acts chapter 3 of Peter and John and the beggar that sat at the temple begging. And he'd been there. He was lame since he was born. And he was over 40 years old, it says. This guy, how long had he been at the temple with his tin cup out? A long time. They all knew him. Probably, they'd all probably given things to him. But Peter and John says, I don't have any money, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he did. And that really ticked off the, the uh, religious rulers, and they tried to stop him from preaching in the name of Jesus. And right at first, when, when the man's jumping around and the crowd's gathering because they know this guy, They've, they, they've seen him for years. And says, is that the, yep, that is, that's him. Wow. And, and Peter says to the people gathered, he says, why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? By faith in the name of Jesus, this man is healed. It's not in us. But as we make ourselves available, we can become a conduit of God's power. And... I want to mention about prayer because this is an amazing resource that we, we all have access to it. And I know we all pray. And we all probably wish that we prayed more. Um, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says pray continually. That's a tall order, isn't it? How do you pray continually? Well, it's, it's a journey. 
you, you just keep it on your mind and you keep, um, whenever it comes up, pray about it. And may, maybe someday we'll get to continually. Um, in James chapter 5, verse 16, he says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Um, and Jesus, when he was, the disciples had asked him, teach us to pray, right in the Lord's Prayer. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So right in the Lord's Prayer, let the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to cultivate this, this life of prayer. Uh, just more and more, not to, you know, throw guilt or condemnation, uh, but that's where our power is. is and, and also, especially, and, and we're going to talk about this some more, is our tongue language, our, our prayer language. Um, God has given us great power in our prayer languages, speaking in tongues. And so we don't want to neglect that, and I know we're going to do a, a series on that soon. Um, Steve Shaw used to call it the language of the ancients, or the weapon, the weapon of the ancients. That's what he called it. Um, so that's, this is a, a very important topic. And each of these topics about walking in the kingdom, we're just hitting the high points here. Um, there's probably a, a whole uh, day on each one, and we may get to it. We'll see. But we all want to, to move forward in our walk with the kingdom. Maybe we're just starting. Um, maybe we've been at it for quite a while, but we want to move forward. And that's what I want to encourage all of us to do is, is take another step of faith. How, how, did, how does God want us to, to move forward in our walk in the kingdom? Because we can all be more effective, um, Learned, there's more to learn. And, and I've divided kind of, there's two aspects of it. One is we need to know the truth. Uh, if it, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So we need to know it, just like these things that we've talked about, our, um, the spiritual side, our identity, being a spiritual warrior. We need to know what God says about us. Satan is very active telling us what we don't need to hear and we don't want to hear, but we need to hear what God says. And then the other aspect that's very important is we need to daily, individually make the decision to implement those truths. So it's, we need to know it and then we need to decide to do it. And I remember when I was first starting here at Vineyard, I didn't know a lot of this. I'd maybe read it, but Steve Shaw, he would, week after week, he would, he would hammer on identity and walking in the kingdom. And little by little, it started to sink in. Yes, I am a powerful person through Christ. And yes, I can help to heal. And I can pray for people and things can happen. And many things have happened along the way. And so it doesn't happen overnight but we need to take, begin, and start. So, um, I would like to play a song for right now. Come away with me. 
one of my favorite songs. Um, it's going to be wild. It's going to be great. You're going to hear. It's going to be full of me, he says. Um, so let's go ahead and stand. And if, if God's been speaking to you about any of this today, the parable of the leaven, learning how to walk in the kingdom more, if there's anything in your life that um, you want to talk to God about, and maybe you need to make commitments, ask for forgiveness for anything. The altars are open. Feel free to come up and uh, people will pray with you. So thanks for paying attention.